Hey, I'm Brandon, the online campus pastor here at Big Valley Grace, and thank you for taking a moment to watch this message. It is the teaching portion from one of our live weekend worship gatherings, and we have those every single weekend here online and in person, and I just want to extend an invitation to you to join us. We're just a local church, local body of believers, and we would love if you would join us uh, on a weekend upcoming here sometime soon. Uh, but as we get headed into this message together, a couple things just want to point you to. One is a connect card. If there's any way that, that we can pray for you, if you want to contact us, that connect card form is just a really great way uh, to let us know that you're joining us. Any next steps you want to take, stuff like that is right on there. Also, if you want to bring in offering, a worshipful gift uh, to King Jesus, you can do that right on our give page on our website or via text. So hope you enjoy the unpacking, the unfolding of the word as we look at it together. Well, we uh, want to greet all of you this evening. Thanks for coming. And if you're watching online, uh, the Lord bless you folks there at home. And, and I think I might have some young grandchildren watching online. They don't get to go to big church. Uh, they go to uh, their Sunday school. But um, stay awake, children, and you listen to Grandpa. Well, if you've been reading along, the church has been going through the book of Mark. And chapters 5 and 6 have been this week. And if I would title uh, the message tonight... It would, it's right there if you have a sheet of paper on the notes. Another moment with the master. And we're going to be reading in uh, Mark chapter 5 about the demonic man. And I thought about naming it Taming the Tombstone Terrace, but I like the one Another Moment with the Master a little bit better. We're in, that, in a series in the book of Mark. It is a rapid, fast-paced, action Gospel. It's like a machine gun. And in fact, if you're an English teacher or a grammarian and you like conjunctions and infinitives, there's 1,331 ands in the book of Mark. And you say, well, big deal. Why 1,331 ands? Because after every and, there's an action. The book of Mark is the shortest of the gospel, but there's 27 of the 37 miracles that are in the book of Mark. 27 of the 37 miracles. And every miracle is followed by a message. Every wonder is followed by a witness. Every sign is followed by a speech to gain a hearing for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Action, action, action. And the location of this narrative in Mark is in the place of the area of the Gadarenes or the Gerasenes. And right here you can see on the, uh, this map, this is the Sea of Galilee. It's eight miles between here, but 13 miles long, seven miles wide. And over here is the cities of Decapolis, 10 cities. Jews never went over here, never. This is the bad area. You do not go on the east side of the Jordan River. This is where those, well, there wasn't bad tribes, but Gad and Reuben and half of Manasseh, they did not want to come on the west side of the Jordan. They stayed over here, and a lot of evil was in this area. Well, right up here is a little town called Kersey. It's in the area of the Gadarenes, or Gerasenes, this little town of Kirky, Kersey, right here, there's caves along here, and you can see where the swine went into the Sea of Galilee and they died. So there's where 
the narrative takes place right there on the Golan Heights on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. Probably one of the most compelling stories in the Gospels. And we are going to see three powerful forces at work in this narrative. We're gonna see Satan. We're gonna see the society or the world today. We're gonna to see the Savior. And we have the same three powerful forces around us today. We see Satan wreaking havoc. We see society and the culture around us. And we see our Savior. So let's walk into this in uh, verse one. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when Jesus saw, and when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus, or he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly to do not send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and he begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, lest we enter them. Let us enter them. So Jesus, or he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and was drowned. 1998, we stood at that place there at Gadara. Will Varner, Dr. Will Varner, he was with a, t a team of students out of Master's College, and he says, Gordon, I'm gonna sneak up into the caves before you guys get up there and read this passage, and I'm gonna be in the back of the caves, and in the middle of this passage, I'm coming out. And Dr. Will Varner went up there, he, he had ragged clothes on, he put ketchup all over his body, and right in the middle of reading this passage, he comes screaming out of the cave, and every one of those 35 students saw the picture of what took place 2,000 years ago. A maniac, a madman. And Jesus here, he's on the move. He had just come and silenced the storm and now he's got out of the boat. And we're gonna immediately see in this passage Satan's power. Satan's power in people's lives. Did you know that Satan has a plan for your life. The Bible says in John 
10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Those three things, you can wrap it up. That is what Satan wants to do to every one of us. He has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Satan desires to do everything he can to thwart our walk, to hinder our life. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He did it to this man. He wants to rip you off. He wants to pickpocket you. And he has a lot of power in doing that. You see, Satan was an angel created by God. He was the highest of the angels created. He was called Lucifer. But somewhere he made a choice and he said, I'm gonna be like the most high and God booted him out of heaven and he took a third of the angels with him. Some of those demonic spirits are still around today. They were at the time of Christ. Some of those demonic spirits are chained right now in hell in chains, Jude 6. The reason they're chained there because of what they did back in Genesis 6. And they're not gonna be let out again until Revelation chapter nine. For 150 days, they're coming and torment the people in the tribulation period. But this is the power of Satan here. Listen to what the Bible says in Ephesians 6 and 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. <clears throat> Jesus is the creator of everything good. That's what the Bible says in Colossians 1. For by him all things were created. This madman, when Jesus was getting out of the boat and he saw this madman, he was looking at this madman through a different set of eyes than you and I look at him. We see a demonic man. Jesus sees a future deacon. And he gets out of the boat and he looks at this man that was once a little boy and now Satan's power stole his family, stole his friends, trying to kill him, trying to destroy his spirit and his soul, and he's living right here in the tombs. <clears throat> when I was a little boy, we'd go into slide a post office with my father to get the mail, and I'd always be impressed by looking up at the wall, the mug shots, of all the men and women are the most noted people that the FBI was after. And one thing that really fascinated me about those mugshots, you can't guess the age. Why? Because sin takes its toll. And I about guarantee if you'd have looked at this man that day, I don't know how old he was, maybe in his 30s or 40s, but he would have looked like a wretched human being and you'd never guessed his age. Satan was out to destroy him. And the problem here is not that the, the devil has upped his game, it's just that man is willing to play in it. Same thing today. Bible says in Timothy, it is gonna wax worse and worse as it was in the days of Noah, but Satan is on the prowl right now like a roaring lion. 
And this man was possessed of a demon and it robbed him of his family, his friends, his fellowship, and his decency. Look what the Bible calls him. He had unusual strength. He was naked. He was out of his mind, self-inflicted wounds, split personality, fixation with death and dying, outcast, dangerous, destructive. He was a naked monster. Robbed of all of his sanity. But I find it very interesting. All the power of the devil doing what he could to this man. He's not dead, is he? Why? Because God is in control. Satan is on a leash. At Calvary, his power was taken. And he has been gumming it for 2,000 years. And every lure that he throws in front of you, you don't have to go for it because we have victory through Jesus Christ. Satan's power, he held them firmly by the omnipotent hand of God and he had a reason for it. Sometimes the devil seems kind of big to us, I know, but he is very small to God our Father. Now I want to look at society's power or the world's power. Look at verse 14 through 17. <clears throat> the herdsmen, these pig farmers, fled and told it to the city and in the country, and the people came out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, clothed, a new set of gushi, I think that's how you say it, <laughs> and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Here is this man that is completely restored now. And those who had seen it described it to them that it, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. This is a picture of society. Society, this world, has a plan for your life. James 3.15 all three of them are right there. This wisdom descended not from above, but it is earthy, unspiritual, demonic. That is the world's plan for your life. They may throw a lot of things that sound great, but you can sum it up right here. Everything is earthly. They're gonna do everything they can to make evil look good or appear good. They're gonna throw unscriptural things your way and they're going to do things that are demonic, strife, conflict, division. That's what society does apart from Christ. We hear people saying, well, the Bible is just not flexible enough. Come on. The word of God is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. It converts the soul. The trouble is that man wants to weave and, and dodge and, and he wants to expand and compromise. And before you know it, there's no absolutes left. What is truth? Pilate screamed that out. What is truth? Truth is anything God says. How do we know what God says? You open the Bible, you read it. And the world and society will do everything they can to not let Christianity even get a hearing. That's where we're at today. 
People say, well, we just gotta get in the middle. We gotta remain neutral. We can have maybe one, we go to church over here and then we're in the world, we do this. You can't do that. There's a Civil War soldier that tried it. He says, I don't wanna be on either side. So he wore the coat of a union and wore the pants and a hat of a Confederate. What do you think happened to him? Confederate shot his coat and the Union shot his pants. You cannot be neutral when it comes to the gospel. Look at the first three verses here. It implies that society bound this man with chains and they isolated him into the tomb in the cemetery. Why? Because he didn't fit in. He's a maniac. He's a devil. We don't want him around. Does that sound kind of familiar today? We know there needs to be justice when there's, there's consequences for wrong today. People go to prison. There's a reason for that. They did wrong. We have laws. But sometimes we do it very quickly. We just want to get people away. We want to isolate them, try to get them in some kind of a rehab. But the Word of God says in Matthew 25, when I was there, did you ever come and visit me? Did you know that there's 4,631 prison ministries in the United States of America? And of all the millions that are incarcerated, there's still people willing to go in to be with those that are outcasts. Jesus said that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yes, society, they want to avoid these people like a plague. Well, Isolating and rehabbing will never change the human heart. Only Jesus can do that. You realize as you look at this passage, we are living in the midst of the tombs ourselves. Right here in Modesto, we are walking and living and driving right amongst the tombs ourselves. How do we know that? Because there are people everywhere that need healing. There are people that are scarred from the sins of abortion and these kind of things. There are people that are bound tight with drugs and alcohol and prostitution, walking amongst the tombs. And we see the damage and effects of society that keeps encouraging that kind of a thing. The Bible says in Timothy, they're going about from bad to worse, deceiving and even being deceived themselves. What is society's reaction to Jesus here? You animal killer? That's their reaction, really. You are an animal killer. In fact, there's some of the animal rights activists will take this story and try to prove how wicked Jesus is. He killed not only a pig farming business, but he killed 20, I mean 2,000 Durocs or Poland Chinas, but they're pigs. He wrecked their business. Does that sound like our society today? Care more about the spotted owl, the snowy plover, the bald eagle, the humpback shrimp, whatever those are. Care more about that than your soul. That's the culture we're living in. 
And you look at these animals that get ready to go down into the Sea of Galilee. And there's a term for that. Suicide. Many of you do not know anything about raising pigs, do you? <laughs> Society's reaction is you're a pig killer, but no society here just revealed its soul. They care more about the pig, the animal, than they did about a man right in front of them that got healed. I think the same thing's happening today. People that care more about the shekel than they do the soul. People that care more about their bank book than they do their Bible. People that care more about time here than spending eternity there. That's the society, the push of society today. Look what else society does here in verse 17. Get out of our city. Just watched a maniac get healed, clothed in his right mind, sitting there happy, and they say, you get lost. Do we see it today? Get out of our schools. Get out of our homes. Get out of our public places. Get out of our textbooks. And here's the sad thing about it. When you say that and society says it long enough, what will Jesus do? He'll do the same thing that he did here. I'll go. That's exactly what the word of God says in Genesis 6, verse three. I, my spirit, will not always strive with man. If you're a believer tonight, I'm gonna to tell you what society thinks about you. They don't care one bit about you in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. The Bible says there, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You're not a maniac, you're not wandering out the tombs anymore, you're a new creature. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. They don't care about that. They'll tolerate you for a season of me, but society does not care. No Bibles in our schools. When I was a young man, that's been a long time ago. But I remember at Stanislaus Union, we prayed before every meal. We had the Bible read by our first and second grade teachers. And folks, there's no Bibles allowed in our schools anymore. Oh, they're allowed in prisons. You can go to prisons, you can, there's Bibles everywhere in prisons. I would suggest to them, why don't you allow the Bibles back into the schools and there'll probably be less people going to prison. It's a thought. Let's get to the best part of this narrative, verse six through eight, our Savior's power. I love this part. We make a transition here to another power, the greatest power, Jesus. Verse six, and when he saw Jesus from afar, the demonic man, he ran and fell before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly, do not send them out of the country. Look at the picture here. 
Jesus just calmed the storm. Jesus is in a boat. Jesus went to the other side. Jesus is getting out of the boat. The maniac up there in the caves sees the man getting out of the boat. And he's gonna take off for him, breaking a 100-yard dash record because he wants to maim him and probably kill like he's killed before. And he gets close, and he comes sliding in on his knees, and he sees this Jesus. Look at our Savior's power. Jesus, the Bible says in Luke 19 and 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You can't top that power. Here's a maniac controlled by the devil, controlled by Satan, and Jesus came and get off the boat and he's gonna bring change to his life. Not only that, Jesus has a power in John 10 and 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. He has the power of resurrection. He's gonna resurrect this man's life. And then I love this one. He came to do the will of the Father. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said one time, I can't do anything of myself. I just listened to my Father. And somewhere as he prayed that morning, he got into that boat, the Father says, I want you to go to the other side and there's gonna be a demonic man and Jesus went. He obeyed the will of the Father. My friend today, our Savior has a plan for your life. I read in Jeremiah, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Don't read that passage in the wrong way. That's not saying you're gonna be prosperous, financially and wealthy the rest. That's not what it's saying. What this is saying, this is written when they were down in Babylon. What this is saying here, I have a plan for your life and I'm gonna be with you every single step of the way. And my step may be one of pain. And your step may be one of sorrow. And your step may be one of rejection. Whatever it is, he says, I'm gonna be with you. That's the plan I have for you. I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. And he says in Peter, and I'm gonna give you everything you need for the journey. Everything you need, and I'm gonna be with you. And boy, this man that just slid in front of him, a miserable life, and now everything is changed. When Jesus looks at this man, and he's down here worshiping him, Jesus is looking at three types of death. Did you know those same three types of death is here tonight, or it's been in this room? First type of death is called alienation from God. Sin separates. If you're not in Christ Jesus tonight, if you're not born again, you are alienated from the Father. And if you would come right now, you would go to hell for eternity. That's serious. The other type of death, and he's right here in this narrative, the other type of death is when you are alienated from family and friends and there's no fellowship with anybody. It's like a living death. Some of you know what I'm talking about. 
You may be a believer, but you've been alienated from your family and friends, maybe because choices you've made or you have an unforgiving spirit. Whatever it is, it's like living a death. And the third death is room temperature. There's been funerals here because when there's no air in the body breathing, that's called death, alienation from the body. And this man was kind of a living death and Jesus changed everything. Not even the raging storm could stop him from going to a graveyard that day to heal a man. Now I want you to notice something. This is one of my favorite places in this passage and they see the Savior's power. He allows this demonic man and the demon in and demons, by the way, there's 6,000 of them. He allows them to talk. <laughs> there is more theology and exegesis from the demon than all of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. There is no error in the demon's theology. Look what they say. You are the son of the most high God. Why would they ever say that? Because these demons knew him in eternity past. They knew Jesus in heaven. They were cast out with the devil. They made the wrong choice to go with him. They know that he is the son of the most high. They know what Psalm 82 talks about these other gods. They followed the wrong one. They knew who the most high God was. Not only that, they knew of a coming judgment. They said, don't, are you here before your time? They know that their time is not up until Revelation chapter 19 and 20 when they're cast forever into the lake of fire. Christ's first coming was not the time of their judgment. They knew this. They knew it. And they knew they were lost. And they knew where final authority lies. It's in Jesus. I think this is really amazing. And they're here begging him, don't, don't let us go out and just put us in the pigs. And, and when the end clean spirit, the Bible says in Matthew one place, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man or a spirit goes out of a man, he passes through waterless places. For some reason, demons like living in something real and alive and wreak havoc in them. They knew this. And this man had a, a legion of them, a legion of 6,000 men. 6,000 men. And it proves they're not omniscient. They didn't know that Jesus was gonna send the pigs into the sea. They didn't know that. But these sins, these demonic spirits, and I don't know, I'm not gonna name 2,000 of them, but it's things like divination, lying spirit, jealousy, anger, malice, murder, impurities, lies, deceit, hypocrisy, disobedience, envy, strife, malice, covetousness, manipulation, cursing, blasphemy, hatred, Last, you could go on and on. And they're all out of this man now. And then Jesus did something, and it was really puzzling, but I went back and looked at the text again and again and again, and it made me smile. 
our Savior has so much power, and sometimes he does things that's way out of our comprehension or even, we don't understand it. The demon prayed and he said yes. The society prayed and he said yes. The changed man prayed and he said no. Why? The demon's prayer said, let us please go into the pigs. Jesus said, okay, go ahead. They preferred suicide to life. Wow. Society's prayer was, please get lost. Get lost. Go out of our city and our town. We don't want you around. And Jesus says, okay, I'll go. Did you know Jesus is bad for business? Some businesses. Drug dens don't like him. Prostitutes place don't like him. It's bad for business. And he'll go. But the demonics man's prayer was, Lord, please let me follow you. And Jesus said, no, no, you can't. Why? I don't know, maybe sometimes he says no to the ones that he loves the most. There's times in your life and you pray and you need to keep praying, I need to keep praying. And sometimes he'll say no and sometimes he'll say wait. Sometimes he'll answer the prayer yes. But how many of you, including myself, are so glad that Jesus has not answered yes to every one of your prayers. And I am happy that Jesus never answered my prayers when I was 17 years old or I'd have been married to the wrong girl 82 times. <laughs> Think about it. He said no to this man. Look at ver uh, chapter, I mean, uh, verse 18. And as he was getting into the boat, getting ready to leave, this man did not want to live another day without Jesus. And the man had been possessed with demons, begged him that he might be with him, and he did not permit him, but he said, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. He wants to be one of the disciples in the boat, but Jesus says, no, young man, I want you to go home now. And I find this very thrilling for this reason. This place was one of the most wicked places around the time of Christ. Over there where Gad settled and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh, they raised pigs. That's a, that was an abomination to the Jew. It's evil over on that side. Jesus says, you stay here, you go home. And the maniac became a messenger. Did you know that the canacity of the scripture, 66 books of the Bible, was finally ratified in the area of the Decapolis? Maybe because of the maniac that became a messenger for Christ, had enough influence of that region for hundreds of years. That's the power of our Savior. I love it. He's saying here, I want you to go home and share the gospel. And folks, Evangelism is not that complicated. Complicated. Go tell people what he's done in your life. That's what he said to, to do. Go tell people what God has done in your life. You know, you can argue about doctrine, <clears throat> but you can't refute a testimony. This man that was evil, a naked monster, 
When he walked into town and he was healed and he talked and preached and talked about Jesus, people listen. You listen, he's changed. And that's the power of their savior. He revealed the father to his friends as he went home. I love that part of the story. First verse in this passage says, go to the other side. I'm gonna ask all of you tonight, and I'm holding a mirror in front of me, asking myself and my wife the same thing. Have you gone to the other side? You have the greatest value in the world in your breast, the gospel, a treasure. Have you gone to the other side of your street? Says it up there, love your actual neighbor. Have you gone to the other side of your neighborhood? Have you gone to the other side of the office? Have you gone to the other side of the city? You have the message. Jesus says, I want you to do this. I want you to go home. And that man, then when he got out of the boat that day, he was dead, doomed, depraved, and damned. Jesus changed him, and he went home. And I think he revived a whole area. He went to the other side. I don't know who is in this building tonight or maybe watching online that you need to go home. You need to come home. There's a man, a true story, a man that lived uh, in Spain, a father who desperately wanted to be reconciled with his boy, Paco. For 20 years, he found out that Paco lived in Madrid. Prayed for him every day. As he got older, he decided, I, I've got to do something. So this father went into Madrid, went to the paper there, and a very expensive ad he put in the paper and it went like this. Paco, please come home. Meet me at the fountain in the town square next Tuesday at noon. Dad, I love you. The next Tuesday at noon, this dad walked into the town square at the fountain and there was 800 young men 800. 800 young men that just wanted to go back to dad. My friend, he created you. He created you to give him glory, to have fellowship with you throughout eternity, and he's just asking that. He just wants you to come home. Come to the fountain of life. That's where the Savior is. You ever get tired of running? You ever get tired of playing the oldest game in the world, which is hide and seek, started in the garden? Just come home. Come home. The Savior is waiting. The Father is waiting. And he just wants you to come home. Don't let Satan destroy you. Don't let society detain you any longer. Let the Savior save you, change your life forever. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we know we're living in really tough times. 
And Father, we know that your word says, come into me all the weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And you have a man that was healed, and now he went home. And Father, there's probably people watching online tonight. There's people seated here tonight. They need to come home. It's free. The whole purpose of the gospels, Father, and John, your servant, said it so right. These things are written that you might believe, and believing that you have life in his son through Jesus Christ. Father, if there's anybody here that, that needs to come home, prompt them, nudge them, woo them by your spirit, your power, to bring them into the fold. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the power of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the promises of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.